0: Even as he advanced his pedagogical career, Charles pursued other interests. He was the founding publisher of Milwaukee's first city magazine and registered several patents. But he suffered stinging reversals. In 1878, when Laha was seven, her father was forced to auction off the substantial house he had built only two years before near Milwaukee's exclusive Yankee Hill, overlooking Lake Michigan. In 1880, Charles and Mary Whitaker departed Milwaukee, tracing the southern sweep of the Great Lake to Chicago. Laha, their only child, stayed behind at the home school, a private academy in Racine. In Chicago, Charles manufactured and sold brass castings, and again went bankrupt, losing everything just in time to foreclose on Laha's long-held dream of attending an elite college in the East. She went instead on the stage, touring the Midwest and Far West with stock companies, after six or seven hard years, she gave it up and joined her parents, who had moved again, this time to New York. They were now operating a lunch counter on West Twenty third Street in Manhattan, and living above it in tiny, cramped rooms. Blaha came to cook and waitress and help care for her father, afflicted with cancer of the tongue. Charles Whittaker died in 1899 at age 59. He left his widow and daughter a twelve dollar a month Civil War pension, fifty dollars worth of kitchen utensils, and a couple of hundred books. By then, Laha had met Jay Chambers, a customer at the eatery. He was short, dark, plump, and boyish, and five years Laha's junior. A recent graduate of Philadelphia's Drexel Institute of Art, Science, and Industry, he had come up to New York to work as an illustrator at The World, a job he obtained through his father, James Chambers, a well-known journalist. After a two-year courtship, Jay and Laha were married in January 1900 over the strenuous objections of the groom's mother, Dora, who judged Laha unworthy of her only son. In her indignation, Laha taught her sons that their father came from inferior stock, deficient in breeding. The truth was that Jay had reached below his station to rescue her, a penniless waitress nearing thirty with a history on the provincial stage. These distinctions meant little to Jay. He cared only for art. A product of the 1890s, the mauve decade, he quietly deplored middle-class standards of respectability. While Laha strove to establish the family in Lynbrook, Jay stood to the side, mocking. He regarded the suburbs and their inhabitants with droll disdain. He once met a friend he could walk to Lynbrook's center, the five corners, clad only in pajamas and not attract a single comment from his complacent neighbors. He won the bet. At home he raised the gaudy pennant of aestheticism. He wore a linen samurai robe, planted a large replica of the Venus de Milo on the living room floor, and mounted on its walls a permanent exhibition of his book-plates, prized by collectors, and whimsical Christmas cards, prized by his friends. It amused Jay to adorn the house, but he steadfastly refused to fix it, despite its poor condition. The yellow exterior coat had been bleached of color by the salty ocean winds. The shutters, a sickly green, nagged at their rotted hinges. The interior was even worse. One day a portion of the dining-room ceiling dropped. Laha covered the hole with cheesecloth. Vivian and Richard watched transfixed as mice nested in its bulges, their scampering feet leaving twinkling impressions. Another project was the wallpaper, aged and blistered. Jay would not replace it. Laha wrapped up her few valuables and took them to Manhattan pawnbrokers, returning with enough cash to hire a team of workmen. When the job was finished, Jay said nothing. Laha's sobs were dreadful to hear but she was not deterred. With or without Jay's encouragement, she was determined to carry her mission forward, to conquer Lynbrook in the name of her sons, anchoring them in the community. She was elected president of the local mothers' club and was on the committee that founded and staffed the village's first library. She also secured entrance into the exclusive Friday Club, limited to thirty-five women, most of them wives of leading figures, with newcomers drawn from a waiting list. Laha's dramatic monologues and readings were a staple of the club's afternoon entertainments. Yet the Chamberses never quite blended in. Neighbors found them clever and brilliant but faintly disreputable. The house, cluttered with Jay's artwork and the mismatching antiques Laha rummaged up, had the appearance of a seedy museum. And its curators were themselves odd. The plump, aloof artist who rode the commuter train in virtual silence The actressy wife, with her stagy voice and florid gestures, her talk of important friends in the theater. Locally, they were referred to as the French family. Vivian early realized his.